still are to see a CEO of a large corporate eating Mopani worms in his office in a package and he does not have to put it in a dish and he puts it there and it's not off. You know, it, 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 it contributes to him being there. In the ostrich market, nothing goes to waste. From the feathers, to the eyes, to the skin, to the meat, to the bones. You know, the eyes they are used for cataracts research. You see, and, 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 and many other parts. I mean, BM Motors is using the feathers to dust their cars before they spray, they, they, they spray paint them. So whoever thought that ostrich could actually even have a foot in the car manufacturing industry? You know, Las Vegas is dependent on ostrich feathers. In fact, the country is not secure, <laughs> you know, in terms of food supply. And as such, people end up turning into anything that is available. And with that idea, especially in townships, of course, you, you just resort to whatever is available. And you're no longer looking at the nutritional value of what you're, you're eating or ingesting. So you, people just grab uh, whatever they're available. Unfortunately, the poverty level in the country is increasing and that will even impact in the next 10 years, in the next 30 years, in the next 50 years. And one of my opinion, it's uh, when I was in school, of course, not very long time, let's say 15, 20 years ago, they used to have what is called health education, which has now been taken off. So I, I think those are practical life skills that should be taught from primary school, you know, for a person to grow knowing what is, you know, healthy eating, what is a healthy lifestyle. Now, that could be you posting an image of that ravioli on the gram at your favorite restaurant. I don't know why, but it seems like a thing. But ever thought how the food gets to your plate? how it's sourced, how it moves, etc. If you like me, these are some of the things I chew on whilst ordering that injera or ikusi soup for lunch. And all of a sudden, boom, we are in food security territory, a phenom of our times. On this episode of I Know What You're Thinking, we wrestle with the language of food security and how it impacts on you and I as people living in peri-urban areas. We took some of those questions to a central place in Soweto, namely the Chris Haini Baraguana taxi rank, where the aroma is almost a pidgin language with all sorts of accents. Here, fast food outlets are in a huddle with side street eats, such as amatumbo, vegetables and anything deep fried. It is here that food activist and entrepreneur Mapeo Pule raps about tapping into indigenous intelligence as well as the dignity of well-packaged food. My name is uh, Mapeo Pule, born and bred in Soweto, Orlando West specifically, and we are here at the Barataxi rank. And ironically, the hospital I got born from is just right behind us, uh, which is uh, the Chris, uh, the now named Chris Hani Baragwanath Hospital. Mapeo Pule is a social entrepreneur who resides in Soweto, who's got um, the advantage of the village life uh, coming from Lipopo, Zanin, Linyenye to be specific, a small township there called Linyenye, and also being in Soweto. And that has, in my, bringing, in my upbringing, it has helped me to understand what are actually the benefits of both sides. 
being in an urban space and in a in, in a rural space. Uh, that led me to the food industry and how food moves, uh, so that it goes from farms and then it can be able to go to where our people are. Today we talk about uh, things like more food security. You know, uh, is food security is it an alarm to say that we are running out of food? It's not. Uh, it's just a, a, an alarm to say that food is slowly and slowly not being accessible, especially to the people that need it the most. You know, food is a fuel. As much as uh, people get worried that the petrol price is going up and down for their cars, we are also alarmed about people going to bed without, you know, having food that they need to eat. Now, when you when when you come from my background, as 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 I've explained earlier. Then you are, you are, and then you become a conscious person, you know. And when you become a conscious person, then you start asking yourself this question about uh, food and how it moves from the farm to the fork. And what are also interrelated issues around that, you know? Because it's not only about uh, planting some tomato and then the next thing you find it inside a beggar at a beggar store somewhere down there. But it's also who helped it to come to 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 get there, and did the people who helped the tomato to be in your beggar. Are they getting, you know, the, the, their labor's worth? Is it a selective market? Is it an inclusive market? Can anyone participate or has everybody uh, been made to feel or believe that only a couple of people can participate in that thing? So it's, all, it's also about food security. Now, food security, to me, in my own experience and opinion, is not a matter of us running out of food, but it's a matter of getting access to food, but Basically, and what the common denominator for me is, is it affordable? So, okay, it's clear that we have to up our game a bit in the food packaging department. Newspaper wrapping, not exactly ideal for food preservation. But hold on. There's also the idea of reminding ourselves what our DNA has always known all along. Our untapped indigenous uh, intelligence, it's, it's something that is in our eyes but we have been made to forget it or not to see it. I'll give you an example. Uh, I will talk about, uh, historically, let's look at the province of Northwest, where we know the Northwest was dominantly the Batswana people. The Batswana people, what they did was that they have, an, they, 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 they have a menu that they use, and that menu actually has, has, has made us to also know how to identify the Batswana people. We've got what we call tea, which is fermented sorghum porridge. We know that the Batwana people lived on that food religiously. But what does that food does? It actually fights fat. That's why it was rare uh, back then to see, you know, an obese Tswana guy or an obese Tswana woman. Because they had a daily routine of eating that sour porridge that actually fights the fats. So we didn't have a problem of obesity. Right. And when you look at, uh, I remember uh, reading this somewhere that, you know, the, our black ancestors, they spent thousands of years for them to master the African menu. You see, now what is that African menu? That African menu is all the foods that we've been made, you know, to look down on. You know, the kind of food that uh, has been tapped, poor men's food. And it is actually the wise men's food. Because when you look at, let, let, let's explore the issue of tribe you know, intestines and everything and all that. Research shows, when we read these books, research will show you that the most nutritious food on any, any animal 
is actually on the stomach because that's where the grinding happens all the nutrition that have to go to their different places all the food of different plants that's where they are being milled so as a result that food also gets those nutrition so when you actually eat mohodu you know you are actually eating a delicacy and you're also becoming healthy because of it also even though it, it has got fats but it has got fats that we call that these are important fats these are vital fats that the body needs the body does need fat to, to also function so when you look at that kind of a combination it is it is it is our own african intelligence that uh, the now generation is slowly and slowly running away from but if you look at that when we take that that, that type of food and that type of menus we introduce it in schools we introduce it in our varsities it actually not only saves us money but also promotes a healthy society you see because of now we are talking about veg we've got farmers here around a uh, uh, region d we've got indaba is indaba zogula uh, which is a region d farmers forum uh, whereby farmers around uh, the the municipality region d meet at uj we exchange information we exchange uh, uh, advices and everything and all that but then we, we have then said to ourselves, how are we going to be contributors to the food business in Soweto? Forget something. I think I got to food because of I'm one who die, who's not comfortable with hunger. You see, when I get hungry, I get agitated, you see. And as and when you grow, you know, from high school and being a young man, starting your own family and everything, you start now understanding about those, that now is not only my mouth, it's extra mouths. And when you grow, it's no longer four or five mouths. It's about 100, 1,500 people that have, to, have got to eat. And we said then, but then how do we then make it a point that we start introducing food that will be able to be quickly recognized in the market by the very same people who will also take ownership of the food. Because of, uh, we are in Soweto. The majority of people here are true Africans who grew up on these different African menus. But the only challenge has been that it has never been produced and packaged enough for us to be consuming our own food. Even if one is being packaged, it's been packaged by somebody who does not understand the culture of black people. Therefore, they will only go and take it for what it is, use it for there, but it does not stretch beyond uh, that Smolengana product on the shelf. So the projects that I've been involved, involved in, uh, when I got into this farming and food thinking, my first research was on ostriches. Because I still have a firm belief that we can grow ostriches in Limpopo, in Northwest and everywhere. Because the research that I read told, uh, also showed me that ostriches can even survive in Russia. Russia has got an ostrich if people did not know. Extreme temperatures. So what is left is for us to say that how do we then get this information to communities? And say communities, instead of us having vacant land that is just doing nothing and we are sitting, how do we breed ostriches? How do we get into the ostrich market? In the ostrich market, nothing goes to waste, from the feathers, to the eyes, to the skin, to the meat, to the bones. You know, the eyes they are used for cataracts research, you see, and, 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 and many other parts. I mean, BM Motors is using the feathers to dust their cars before they spray, they, they, they spray paint them. So whoever thought that ostrich could actually even have a foot in the car manufacturing industry? You know, Las Vegas is dependent on ostrich feathers. What are we doing about that? So now we are saying that... As activists, not only of food, but of agricultural products, uh, how do we get to empower people? How do we also get to speak to, you know, the powers that be? You know, our officials, our governments to say that we have got this, 
that we, 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 we are now putting out there on the street uh, to say that now we want to empower our own people. We have also got an issue with leading beverage manufacturers. And we ask ourselves, should it be, and should it be cast in stone, that only leading beverage manufacturers get a platform on activities that are even in our backyard? Are we saying that if we have uh, the Soweto Marathon, uh, only a few beverages will be there? Why can't we give a, 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 a Gogo Kumalo there who knows how to, to make our own traditional juice from fruits that she has bought, that she wanted to preserve longer, and give her a platform to say that we know that every time when we've got runners, who are our kids, our brothers and sisters, uh, we, we give them this kind of a drink. If they feel that this drink, maybe they think that is not, then that's when Gogo Kumalo gets the chance to go to UJ and speak to food biologists to say that, Gogo, your juice is fine. You need to turn it down a bit on the sugar, turn it down in here, and then she gets a formulator. One, two, three, four, what do, you, what do you know? She's got a juice, you see? But the plain, the plain route to shelf has not been popularly taught to our people. You see, that's why we find that now, even when we walk around, you find some materials that we consume and we buy has been packaged as if it's going to be thrown away. You know, yes, we understand that using old newspapers uh, gives that sense of vintage and everything. But on another level, uh, why do we package things with things that have been used and we know that they're going to be, you know, thrown away? Yes, it might be good for, 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 for recycling and everything and all that. But what about those who only package their stuff at high-end packaging? You see? So those are kind of things that we also uh, also want to look at, especially when we produce our products. We want them also to have a corporate fit. We still are to see a CEO of a large corporate eating mopani worms in his office in a package and he does not have to put it in a dish. And he puts it there and it's not off. You know, it, 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 it contributes to him being there. Because are, are we really saying that when our black people uh, become CEOs, they then seem to forget or don't like the food that they grew up on? Only because of it, it was not prepared and packaged nicely, you see. But we want to change that, to say that we need also to see corporations, you know, buying African food that has been prepared under good conditions, that has gone through an integral production line where each and every professional has done their work to an extent whereby we can be able to say, uh, you know, we had a, a, a so-and-so company event, it was an African event, we had everything African. Then, of course, there's that inescapable game of incentives. As a social entrepreneur, I work. Every day, I work for three hours. All right? It's a conscious decision that had to be made. Why? Because you need to understand and see on a daily basis the situation where, you know, food security is at and where our people is at. So for us to come and, 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 and you know, motivate our people, incentivize them. When you talk motivation, then we, we go and say, which are the places that actually have got uh, a gathering or a congregation of ears and eyes, you know? Uh, those are the platforms that we need to use. In breaking the stigma of thinking that uh, you cannot do a thing. We, can, we are so marvelous, we can do greater things. We need to give ourselves permission. We are not giving ourselves permission because we think that so-and-so will say one to, But give yourself permission first to use the tools that you have. For instance, uh, as an African conscious guy, I also have an issue with most churches. Uh, yes, the Bible does say that we need to pay tithing. But how do I pay tithing if I do not work? 
if the church can be built and a factory next to it is being built and there is a food process that is happening in the gardens and you are taking these foods and bringing them to people like to, 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 to places like Barra then on Sunday I will have that five rents ten rents to pay my tithing but if a church comes uh, just there at the corner and they're expecting tithing from a poor person who lives molligationing and is not waking up to go and where do I get that money and because of they've got the power to psychologically motivate me to do that which I thought it was impossible but because of they're doing it on a different level and not including my socio-economic standing then people get only to concentrate on religious stuff uh, but not take that religious stuff and put their livelihood in it and say how do I get to get to this point because to this point I, you know I want to be radical to say it is disappointing to find that religion is teaching African people to be on their knees you know and stretch out their hands that is a wrong formula Africans should be on their feet using their hands building this country and go and praise God that he gave them yet another day to display his marvelousness in the body that he has given us and the brains that he has given us that we can be able to take care of ourselves to be self-sufficient as a nation we don't need to be dictated you know we have we have I, I love Thomas Sankara when he quoted the fact that he who feeds you will always impose their will on you today that's why we cannot even free ourselves from other giant countries that are flooding our market with their products because of now they are also feeding us they are imposing their will on us and we will never ever stand as Africans and South Africans and be proud and say that you know what out of 100% of the food industry uh, in South Africa we know that we are 98% of the consumers of that food but at the same time we also need to be at least 60% producers we don't say they must go away our brothers and sisters we say come to the table there's more than enough for everyone you see there's more than enough for everyone we still got Africa as a continent and the only thing is that we are black people we understand our culture so we can come up with products that are hundred percent relevant to our people you see and that will be that that will, all, will also enable us to empower other people who are basically not working at the moment Sure enough, the idea of food security is a whole world of things that we sometimes don't pay attention to. Good looking out to Mapeo for showing us the blind spots. He's not the only chef in the kitchen, though. Professor Emmanuel Mukweba from the University of the Northwest also adds to the broth. He's done tons of research on obesity, and he goes on to tell us how urbanization and food can potentially be a deadly mix. In fact, the country is not secure, <laughs> you know, in terms of food supply. And as such, people end up turning into anything that is available. And with that idea, especially in townships, of course, you, you just resort to whatever is available. And you're no longer looking at the nutritional value of what you're, you're eating or ingesting. So you, people just grab uh, whatever they're available. And usually in townships, as you, you've alluded, it's because townships, most people who are there financially, that there are problems in such a way you can be able to feed yourself properly. And your first survival instincts in township, it's not about health, you know, of what you're putting in as food. It's more survival, you know, due to the limitation and our historic, uh, you know, our historical past. 
that most of our people in township are either not working, most of them may either be on social grants. As such, um, in terms of food, uh, will not be enough. Um, if it's there, in most cases, it's not uh, the so-called healthy food that can provide you know the body with required nutrients. So in, in, in townships, um, you're looking at a rate which is uh, this lesser food of what is required. In fact, the country is not secure, <laughs> you know, in terms of food supply. And as such, people end up turning into anything that is available. And with that idea, especially in townships, of course, you, you just resort to whatever is available. And you're no longer looking at the nutritional value of what you're, you're eating or ingesting. So you, people just grab uh, whatever they're available. And usually in townships, as you, you've alluded, it's because townships, most people who are there, financially, there, there are problems in such a way you can be able to feed yourself properly. And your first survival instincts in township, <laughs> it's not about health, you know, of what you're putting in as food. It's more of survival, you know, due to the limitation and our historic uh, you know, our historical past that most of our people in township are either not working, most of them may either be on social grants. As such, um, in terms of food, uh, will not be enough. Um, if it's there, in most cases, it's not uh, the so-called healthy food that can provide, you know, the body with required nutrients. So in, in, in townships, um, you're looking at a rate which is uh, this lesser food of what is required. Yeah, we have a serious problem um, within our country. Um, some of the research we're even showing that, you know, 90% of 17-year-olds uh, living in Soweto, for example, they consume, you know, fast food at least a minimum of three times per week. That's very high uh, statistics. And this is not surprising because if you were to look in our schools, okay, where majority of 17-year-olds and below are, the prevalence of obesity is quite high and very alarming. And that has increased what we call, you know, childhood obesity. Obesity was usually, you know, associated with people that are 40 and above, um, especially with also the related diseases. And of late, or um, you know, in the past 15 years, what we are seeing that there is an increase, you know, amount of obesity that is uh, being observed, especially in townships. And this is due to, if you were to go and just look at the uh, tech shops that are available in, in in the schools in the townships or in rural areas, you know, the food types that are being sold. I remember in in Sunday Times, they once even reported the, about this. You know, even with a lot of pictures of the food that is being consumed in our school, which is, you know, a contributing factor to, to the rising statistics uh, in obesity. And in overall, the country is, is experiencing high obesity rate. If we look even at the MRC, you know, data, you know, if we talk about, you know, overweight, I think more than 60% of our population is overweight. And obviously that it's usually seen in, in township areas because um, the knowledge of what to eat, what to put in, it's, it's not there. There are a lot of studies that have been done 
to show that urbanization has now taken a center role in the development of, 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 of diseases. There is huge correlation. Um, there are a lot of studies that have been uh, have been shown uh, that have been done within this country, University of Cape Town vets. Um, they've done, you know, looking at heart diseases that are associated with heart, you know, diseases and urbanization. I mean, if we were to look uh, in our days now, most people would prefer a drive-through, you know. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I will not mention the names of <laughs> of the fast food stores, yeah. and we find it very convenient uh, in order to get you know fries. You know, if it's eggs, it has to have a lot of you know oil. Um, and this is the, the 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 lifestyle that people have adopted. You know, the guidelines for eating proper, let's say they say you need five to eight portions of of fruits and vegetables. If you look around people who follow that, there are very few who are able to follow those guidelines. And if that person continues to live like that, it will definitely impact even in, 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 in their health. So if we look at the amount of diet that is being eaten today, it's mostly from refined, what we call refined carbohydrates, meaning they are not natural carbohydrates. And as such, because they are foreign to the body, they result in a lot of diseases because they contain a lot of um, salt in them, you know, a lot of uh, fat in them. And as such, um, what we call Western diet, it it's not good for the body. We don't have enough fiber within the food that we're eating, which we'll definitely get you know, from the proper savings of five to eight portions of fruit and vegetables. I mean, if you do look, let's just say there's a soccer match or, you know, you look at what people will be eating, you won't find any person, you know, eating uh, fruits and veg. But, you know, we, we prefer the fries. They're quicker to get, you know, if you go, as you know, we said the drive throughs You know, by then, you know, you're sorted in terms of, of your dinner or your lunch. And unfortunately, that's the, the 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 problem with urbanization. And because we also working, we don't have enough time, you know, to do physical activity that is, um, you know, required per, per per day. So because people are so busy, um, they have to get something that is very quick in order to prepare for food. So we no longer, if somebody is in rush, you're not eating properly. You're just getting something to get your tummy full. And that's not the reason of eating. The reason of eating should be more of you putting uh, right fuel for the body to function properly. The same as the car. You can say, okay, I'm running out of fuel. Let me just go and get, you know, uh, a juice and put it in in the tank. And this is what people are doing. You're putting wrong fuel within the system, which is the body. And as such, it will not function properly. And in the long run, should you continue in that behavior, uh, there will be serious consequences in terms of you, your body unable to fight, you know, diseases, unable to fight, you know, small ailments and infections. And as such, urbanization has contributed a lot that most people are no longer eating um, healthy food. They are no longer having enough physical activity that is required. We have cars, 
um, we spend eight or so hours at work. When we finish with driving, yeah, we're able to watch TV and then we go sleep. And the amount of physical activity that happened during the day is very small. The body has been designed to be able to carry weight and to sustain it. But in terms of urbanization, it's really contributing significantly to also um, a lifestyle that is not, that is not healthy.